Lord, again, we just um, we pray, Lord, to open our hearts and our ears, Lord, to the things of you. Lord, it is you who is the God of all things in creation, Lord, and we just thank you so much for the beginnings of which we have from the very first words which you've written in the, the Bible, Lord, for us to understand and to see. Help us to understand that in another way today, we pray, and just bless as we, we just commit ourselves and our, our hearts and our ears to your understanding, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I wonder what goes through your mind when you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For me, I, th I think of it with joy and respect, our God who made this earth. But a lot of my non-Christian friends have huge troubles with this statement, with this verse. They say, oh, but it's, it's different to what the scientists tell us. It's, and science seems so strong. It has so many experiments and so, um, so much backing. And how can we say things different to that? How would you answer your non-Christian friends? One thing that we need to consider is that the issue of testimony. And I want to make the point that scientists are humans too, and their reports are testimony. You see, the scientific journals that report all of the major scientific discoveries, they don't report every single piece of data. They don't report all of the test results. In fact, the scientists do the experiments, and then they choose which test results they think are important, and then they interpret those results and say, here's what these test results mean. And then they write their interpretation in the scientific journal, and it goes out to the world as fact. So we need to remember that the sci scientists who write those journals, they're not blank pages waiting for scientific data to be written onto them. They're humans like us. They've had an upbringing. They have a perspective. They have um, opinions and biases and agendas. Scientists are usually paid for their research, so they have a goal of being of benefit to their employers. And when we think of this, we need to realize that it's not fact versus testimony. It's which testimony will we believe? The testimony of the, the scientists, who have, some of whom exclude God from their thinking before they even begin? Or will we accept God's testimony about himself? God's testimony says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, if we didn't want to accept testimony as fact, then our world would look very different. We would have to go to the bank and take our money out ourselves and put it into our other account ourselves because we wouldn't trust the bank's testimony that they've done it for us. We would have to go and do all of the scientists' experiments for ourselves because we wouldn't trust their testimony that what they've done is, is accurate. But, you know, scientists are humans too, and they do make mistakes. And um, one example of this was when it was claimed that neutrinos could travel faster than the speed of light. But then later on, there were flaws discovered in their testing methodology, and the theory was put in the rubbish bin. So 
when we think about this, let's think about whose testimony will we trust? The testimony of God that he made everything there is, the heavens and the earth, or the testimony of some scientists who disagree with that. Some of my friends have a different problem. They say, well, you know, there are lots of tribes back in the day and lots of countries, and they all have their own creation myths. And this was long before science was invented kind of thing. So um, isn't the Bible testimony that God created the earth, isn't that just another one of those creation myths? But if we compare them, we discover that God has a unique testimony a testimony that no other culture has ever, or no other religion has ever managed to copy. This, this table looks at, in, in the white, we have the common traits between different myths of um, Israel's neighbors um, in ancient history. And then we have in yellow what the Bible says. You see, in those myths, they thought that the gods were part of creation, or that creation somehow comes from God. But when we read God's testimony, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can see that God is separate from his creation. He's different from it. And um, likewise, those ancient cultures thought, well, there are lots of things in creation, lots of people, lots of animals, so there must be lots of gods. But the Bible asserts there is only one God. There can only be one God who is above all and different from all. Those other cultures, on all of those myths and legends, they all say that the world came about through God's having sex. But God spoke the world into being. You know, Israel lived um, in the same time as these neighboring cultures. They but they came up with something completely different to all of the other cultures surrounding them. And so we can see that it's not just another myth. In the Bible, we see that God cares for creation. He delights in it and that he loves people. He wants to relate to people and people are like the pinnacle of God's creation. After God made people, he said, it is very good. But in the myths of the time, the people thought that the God's created things to solve their problems, to meet their needs, to do their chores, and to make the gods happy. A very different worldview. Where did this worldview come from? It came from God's testimony about himself to Israel. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the midst of those times, they thought that because there are lots of gods, they only have a very small amount of control. The river god is just in control of this one river. The god of this hill is only in control of this little hill. But the Bible asserts something completely different to everybody else, that God alone created the earth. He ruled over the whole earth, over all heaven and earth. Very, very different. God's testimony about himself. You know, if, if we were to invent a God, we would, we would create a religion like all the others, gods who are like creation or space in one way or another. We could not invent a God who is both over creation and yet deeply interested in it. 
And when you think of the religions of the world, you know, the ancient Greeks, they came up with gods who were above everything and didn't care. And many Muslims believe in similar God, in a similar God who is far, so far up there you cannot connect with him. But our God is both up there and above and in control and sovereign and king and yet very personally interested. He spoke the world into being. He personally revealed himself to humans. No one could invent a God like this. And so we see that God's active creation reveals his deity. It reveals his deity. He is transcendent. That's the fancy word that means he's above all and he's holy. Holy means to be separate, set apart. And if I was to give you one word to describe our God, I would choose the word holy. Because everything God is, is holy. You think of his love. It's far above any love that we could ever imagine or or live. You think of his power. No one could even begin to match the power of our God. Everything is set apart. Everything is so far above. Everything about our God is holy. So for us to live holy is to live in the light of our God, but he alone remains holy. And our God is imminent. That's the fancy word that means he's close. He's personally involved and he cares very deeply. And we can see this in, the, in that the same God who commanded light into existence and stars into being personally said to Adam, you're allowed to eat from any of these wonderful trees in this garden except this one in the middle. The Bible is God's testimony that he created the universe. And there is no room for other gods when we read that God created the heavens and the earth, one God, not many gods. And we can see this because everything that was worshipped back in the day by the surrounding nations are things that God created. The sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the rivers, the everything. God created it. And so there's no room for any other gods. They were all made by God. And they were made by God because he delights in creation and um, not as a mistake or to fill his needs or as part of some battle. No, God made everything with joy to rejoice in him and to rejoice in his goodness and for us to have fellowship with him. And that's why idolatry in our own lives is so bad. It's so bad when we swap the creation for the creator. And I'd like to read you a quote from a man named Kyle Eidelman. He says this, God declines to sit atop an organizational flowchart. God is the organization. He's not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table in the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God, and there are no other applicants for that position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistance to the regional gods, God is saying this not because he is insecure, but because it's the way of truth in this universe, which is his creation. Only one God owns and operates it. Only one God designed it, and only one God knows how it works. He is the only God who can help us, direct us, satisfy us, and save us. 
And in, in his book, Gods at War, Kyle goes on to remind us that everything we think is wrong with our lives, our worry, um, maybe some people's gambling problems or um, alcohol addiction, all of these things have deep roots, much deeper than the physical. And often at the bottom of it, at the bottom of our anxiety, at the bottom of our little sins that we try hard to remove from our lives and, and cannot, at the bottom of those is often an idol, something that we live for, something that we would give ourselves to, and not something that we're using to serve the Lord our God. There is no room for other gods in this, in this account of creation and God's own testimony. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm reminded of what Jonah said to the sailors on that ship to Tashish. Jonah said to the sailors, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the sailors were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. See, those sailors were pagans. They worshipped the small little regional gods, perhaps the god of this sea or that sea or maybe the god of the ship. Jonah said, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the one who made it all. And when we look at the Bible as a whole, we can see that all of the Trinity was involved in creation. In John chapter 1, we see that the Father made the world through the Son. And John chapter 1 tells us that the world began through Jesus and that we have a new beginning through Jesus. Through Jesus, we have a new birth. Ephesians says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, created to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. So the Father made the world through the Son, and the world began through Jesus. And Colossians tells us that the world continues through Jesus. He sustains it all. And also, Jesus sustains us as part of the message of Colossians. And I do realize that each one of these points could be a few sermons on its own. So please bear with me as I race through and give us this, this overview. And we can see in Genesis 1 that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at creation like a bird caring for her chicks. And so all, all of the Trinity was involved in creation. We see in God's testimony, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It not only reveals his deity, not only tells us that he is the only God, it also tells us that he's a generous God, a good God. He made the entire universe. God generously made and provided everything we need. He made the trees and the sky and the, the oxygen and the water and, and everything. And God himself provided the spiritual need of the people he created. He had that close relationship with Adam. And very importantly, we see that God cares for this creation. God personally commanded it into being. And every time God created something, he said, wow, this is good. And um, when we read Psalm 104 and Genesis 1 to 3, we realize that God enjoys his creation. He rules over it. He provides for it. He cares for it so deeply. When we look at Colossians 1, we discover that Jesus sustains this creation. 
Sometimes we talk so much about the creation that's coming, the new creation, that we forget that God loves this creation as well. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says something very interesting. A righteous man takes care for the needs of his animal, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. God is saying that if we're righteous, we'll care for our animals. Why? Because God is righteous and he cares for his creation. God said to Jonah about the city of Nineveh, they have more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Why would God mention the cattle? It's because he cares for creation as well as people. And right now, there might be some warning bells going off on your head, and I can understand that, because I realize that the secular world is very green-minded. Out there, there are many secular people who don't believe in God who are saying that we should care for this world. And this is why I think they care for this world. According to my friends, they want to see the, their kids to see the beautiful bush and, and sea and creation that we have. But more than that, they think that the end of the world is tied up in creation. They've been told that this world is going to explode because of greenhouse gases, because of global warming. And they've been told that humanity, we are the saviors of the world because through our green technology, we might be able to prevent this. So this is why they're so keen for, um, for eco ecology and looking after the earth and cleaning up rubbish and um, reducing emissions. And also, being green is a great way to make money because if you're seen to be in on this global cause, this bigger story, this eschatology, this end of the world, then, wow, you know, um, people will buy your product if you are green. Very different, very different to the reason why our God would like us to care for creation and care for this world. And um, just um, having the conviction that I should say a little bit more about this than I originally planned, so uh, please bear with me. You know... Um, Caring for creation is a reflection of our creator, our good creator. He is good and kind and generous and looks after his creation, but as with everything, when we care for creation, our actions must be accompanied by a proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has to be our first priority so that the world doesn't think that we're a bunch of greenies who also happen to go to church. But I'd like to say to you that caring for creation is a great platform for evangelism. And I found this in my own life. If I said to my secular friends, what do you think about God? They would shut me down, the walls would go up, gone. I would not have a conversation with them. But if I talk about eco-issues, they open up, they engage, they're interested in this. And they're willing to share and talk about why we care about creation. And as I think about sharing the gospel with them, I think, what are they really seeking? Why are they so keen? It's because they think the end of the world is tied up in it and because it's beautiful. So they're seeking something bigger to be part of. They're seeking something to trust in and they're seeking security for their future. So they're interested in green things. 
And this is good. It's good. All those things are good, but they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking to humanity instead. So their, their perversion is that they're thinking that humanity is the saviour of the world through green technology, instead of realising that God is the saviour of the world, who is bringing a new creation, but also cares for this one. And so I think that we can look at their desire for that security, for that future, to be part of that bigger picture, and we can show them a better way. We can show them a better way. And, you know, it's been interesting in my conversation with my friends. They, they, they don't think they have a belief per se. They think that that's just the way the world is. But in these kinds of discussions, we can show them that they're trusting in the testimony of some scientists instead of the testimony of the Lord our God in Scripture, that he alone created heaven and earth and that he cares and some of my friends say, what's the difference? Who cares as long as we both want animals to be looked after well? But the difference is that our underlying beliefs determine who we're looking to as our saviour, as our Lord, as our king. They're looking to green technology and humanity. We're looking to the Lord our God because he, he made the world. And so um, it's, it's a great chance for evangelism. And um, it's a good chance for us to reflect the goodness of the Lord our God. In Genesis 1, we not only see God's generosity and his deity. When we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We also read of his authority. We see God's authority over creation tied to his moral ability to judge because God commands everything into existence and it happens just as he commands it. God commanded mankind to rule creation and subdue it. And when mankind sinned in Genesis 3, God was the one who stepped in. So because God had made the world, he has the power and the right to keep his promises to command us to do things and to judge the world. And so um, it's important to recognize that when we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then that shows his authority. And that means that we are responsible to the Lord our God. And not just us, but also the people whom we're witnessing to. We read in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And Romans goes on to say that this, this revelation of God and creation has been rejected universally. So God's judgment is coming, but salvation is in Jesus Christ. And I realize this too is another entire sermon all on its own. Um, but just to note that we have a responsibility to the Lord our God, but so do our non-Christian friends. Here's their judge too. And so this is something that we can bring into our evangelism and to our conversations and um, to help them to see that the Lord our God is actually over them in authority and deity. So, so far we have seen that 
Because God created the world, we know that he is God. We know that he is generous and that he's able to keep his promises and that he has the authority to judge. And we've seen that because God created the world and cares for it, we should be a reflection of the Lord our God and care for it too. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for making this world. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing holiness and transcendence, that you are above all. Thank you, Lord, that even though you are, you are the one who breathed stars into space, that you care for us and that you want a relationship with us and that you are bothered and care when we do things wrong. Lord, thank you for your justice and your generosity and your joy in creation. Lord, thank you so much for being such a wonderful creator to us. We want to give you thanks and praise, and we pray that as we, as we converse with our friends, that you would give us the wisdom to be able to reach them with the gospel of your Son. Lord God, we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've made. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.